This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. This is where they die. And the shield boys. Remember this day, man. For it will be yours for all time. What is going on, everybody? What's going on? It is your boy Coop and Lou here. What up? Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys had a blessed uh, couple of weeks here. It has been crazy out there, but we hope people are staying positive, staying in the game. To our first responders out there, our, our, our heroes without capes, man, we appreciate you. This third episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do this with you guys uh, in our thoughts. So, what you got for us today, Coop? What do we got? We got mental health, huh? Mental wellness. Yeah, you know, we, we're we looking at some things to talk about. And we wanted to uh, talk about stuff that really matters. And uh, for me, mental health, wellness... All that stuff really, really matters because it is creating a dent in our industry, um, you know, law enforcement in particular, but just on the firefighter side, military side, this is stuff that affects all those who go out and serve. Hell, even our, our nurses and doctors and folks who are like in the public uh, sector. So we want to kind of tackle this topic and, um, you know, just kind of tell you some perspectives from our viewpoints and um you know maybe it'll help you out there listening help uh navigate some things that you may or may not be going through but it might be able to uh you know you hear some stuff and you might be able to help some of your your battle buddies and your buddies that are out there with you too so and uh you know starting off uh i i did some research for us i looked mm-hmm. up uh mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the suicide rates among uh, first responders. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is a, a call to action, that uh, a report that came out April 6, 2021 by the CDC, of all things. Right. I am concerned that it's just strictly on their blog, that it wasn't like this big thing that they're keeping the push. It's like it was just one of these, all right, this is a major issue, and then... We're going to talk about it just this one time, and it doesn't right. seem like they've been talking about it much anymore. I think, but I do appreciate that they left it published so that we can talk about it. Right. Um, so you know, we're looking at the numbers. They based all their numbers off of a study for 2019, where they had uh, 47,500 suicide fatalities in the United States. But this is the number that caught me. 1.4 million suicide attempts in mm-hmm. the United States. 1.4 million. That is a significant number. Now, I, I appreciate that the CDC identifies first responders as law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services, clinicians, public safety telecommunicate, telecommunicators, i.e. dispatchers. dispatchers. And, uh, you know, that they are crucial to ensuring public safety and health. Mm-hmm. But who is ensuring their safety and health? Exactly. You exactly. Know, if you've got broken people out there trying to help broken people that it, it, that's a uh, formula for disaster right you know the uh, uh the day-to-day stress 
And, you know, it talks about that uh, law enforcement officers and firefighters are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty. Furthermore, EMS providers are 1.39 times more likely to die by suicide than the public. Studies have found that between 17% and 24% of public safety telecommunicators, dispatchers, have symptoms of PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, and 24% have symptoms of depression. While telecommunicators, dispatchers, are often the very first responders engaged with those on scene, research on their suicide risk and mental health has lagged. And, you know, when you speak to dispatchers, I know that part of their issue is they get the call, but a lot of times they get no closure. Right. They got to hear the screaming. They got to hear the panics, panic call for help. They have no idea what happened after that. You know, right. They don't know what the follow up is or anything else. And, you know, going to uh, some of the other issues, let's look at uh, uh, this officer who died in New York, his widow, mm-hmm. who spoke uh, during his funeral. Mm-hmm. One of the key takeaways for me that she said that really caught me off guard and really got me in the feels, got me in the heart, was that she had just had an argument with him. Yep just before he went on duty and it was a legitimate argument the argument was that once again the the job was like his mistress right yes and this is a common theme among uh many of us hell you know i mean full disclosure i've been married this is my third marriage the emergency the emergency services lifestyle the first responder lifestyle is hell on the household correct hell on the household I think I might have a fighting chance right now because I think I've learned most of my lessons but the biggest thing that I did was I went to counseling mm-hmm. and I'm married to a uh, 911 dispatcher right now who uh, a first responder who who is like minded I guess and understands but nonetheless going back to this, this poor widow now um, her biggest regret you know he uh he had offered to drive her to work like yep. he usually does, and uh, she got no closure because they, they, the argument was so significant that she didn't want to drive with him that day. She decided to take an Uber, and um, I, I believe in this case mm-hmm. they called her to the hospital. Um, yeah, I, so I, 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 where normally uh, uh, out here, well, we're a small community, but still, I don't know how that. Right. So I don't know how to explain that situation. Normally, you would, uh, we would have sent someone to go pick her up or something. Right. Wrong. But it, it, that's New York. That place is packed. God knows what the situation was. I don't fault the department for that at all. They mm-hmm. called her. They got her to the hospital, and and they took care of her from that point on. But I could only imagine what that that uh, travel to the hospital was like, and hearing that that uh, uh, her husband, a first responder, had fallen. And uh, that being said, I mean, this is, these are things that guys have to be thinking about on a daily basis. Right. So that uh, NYPD officer was uh, Detective Jason Rivera. He was an officer, but uh, he got posthumously promoted to detective. Um, I listened to her, um, her eulogy. Um, I listened to it yesterday. And... Um, when you hear her speak, 
and um, you see the pictures of the NYPD officers who were lining the streets. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of yeah, cops. It was, like 10, it was 10,000 officers minimum there. That death affects all of those cops. It affects cops here in Alaska. It affects cops in California. It affects cops in New England. And that continues to be a builder of the stress that's on law enforcement officers in particular because we don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, We go out every single day and we put on our uniform, our vests. Hopefully you're wearing your vest. Um, you're wearing your seatbelt. You're, you're hauling ass to calls. You're dealing with people. You're shaking uh, people's hands. You're doing all this mm-hmm. stuff. But you don't know who's going to try to kill you. No. Nope. You don't know that stuff. And in this case, this officer went to a disturbance in uh, Harlem. Yep. Um, it's uh, essentially... Uh, He's losing his mind. Mom um, calls in. Um, they go to the door. He doesn't want to talk to him, and then he starts shooting. He actually kills two of them. So there was right. another officer who uh, just died. Um, he was in the hospital for a few days, but he also uh, was yeah, killed he just in this died. event. Yeah. So the wife here, so she gets this alert on her phone. That's how she's initially notified. A Nixle, I think, right? Yeah, it's like a Nixle type of alert. If you're not familiar with Nixle, Nixle's a platform that uh, a lot of city agencies have to where they can push out information to the public. And uh, in this case, she gets this notification, not because that's how she was notified, but she's basically getting a notification that there's this large-scale event going on, officers are down, she gets it. Mm-hmm. She knows her husband's work in that area. So she starts looking at his uh, his location. Right. And then eventually she sees that his location is at the hospital. Right. She looked on his iPhone. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. So she um, she figures he's at the hospital. He's obviously not answering the phone because he's he's dead. Yeah. And um, she does she's not aware that it's her officer that's dead. And so from there she eventually gets that notification to come down the hospital. And then this goes on. Um, obviously, it's, as she says, you know, that day was probably the worst day of her, her life. And then even getting up there and doing the eulogy, you know, absolutely sucked for her well, yeah. to go up and do. And she's staring at the district attorney who is uh either directly or indirectly responsible, depending on how you right. look at it, because of the policies that they implemented, decriminalizing things and not holding people accountable and people that should be in uh, in jail or uh, secured from the public for the safety of the overall public. Right. That's the better way to say it, I guess. That's not being pub- That's not being politically correct. That's a way of explaining to people that are caught up in other agendas and other false messaging. The whole purpose of someone being taken into custody is to protect the public at large. Correct. Yep. That's the whole purpose. Mm -hmm. And when people forget that, when lawmakers forget that, then we end up with issues like this. A lot of times they're looking at it from a fiscal note. That's correct. They're like, how much is this going to cost us? Yes. Mm -hmm. How much is this going to cost? 
So we look at that death as an example, right? So that death, uh, you have 10,000 officers who are there. Um, by and large, those officers are going to be required to go back to work tomorrow. That's correct. Next day. With those, with all that, with her words in the back of their head, with her words, with their brother's death, with mm-hmm. the other officer's death, um, and all the stresses that come with it. So then who is looking out for those officers? Are they simply going back out on the street because their department's like, hey, it's uh, this is your shift? Yeah. Or is their department coming down and saying, hey, everyone who was involved with this, all of these people who knew this uh, officer, hell, anyone who works in a uniform, here are some tools, here are some service providers, Right. What are these agencies doing to actually bring some sort of normalcy or closure for those that it affects directly? Yeah, that that uh, what is known as CISM, that critical incident stress management. Mm-hmm. Where is that program being implemented in this case? You know, and we certainly hope that a department of that size absolutely has a program like that. Um, I, I think we're, uh, one of the elements that we leave out that when a law enforcement officer or any first responder gets murdered, it actually affects the entire community for which that person was serving because it leaves a level of vulnerability to people that view law enforcement as the highest tier of protection, the first responders at the highest tier of protection. And when you have that societal breakdown where people feel that they can now attack and remove that layer of protection for the public, the public, you know, that's the public security blanket. Uh, It's not coincidence that when you go to work each day, when you walk into your place of uh, whether you're walking home or something else, it's not by coincidence that you feel safe that day. That is a direct result of public safety doing their job. And the moment that layer is removed, now you have that anxiety. Now you have, you know, after a school shooting, can you imagine how many kids are just terrified for months, maybe years afterwards? You know, one, they never feel safe in that school again. I could not imagine uh, what it would have been like being six years old or eight years old in school and all of a sudden hearing shots ring out and, you know, somebody get, you know, my fellow students get smoked, let alone in a small community where uh, the law enforcement that makes it a safe place Mm -hmm. for us to respond or the firefighters, you know, there's locations where they were shooting at firefighters only Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. You know, during riots and they're attacking the firefighters, cutting their hose, all kinds of stuff, physically attacking firefighters and EMS to the point now that the consequence, you know, and it seems like I'm rambling, but there's so much that happens when you have this breakdown, right? Because it affects everyone. It Mm -hmm. definitely people that think it doesn't affect people that are not within first that are not within the first responder niche or realm are clueless because it absolutely affects everyone. Now you have, you know, this has been going on since I put the uniform on 
uh, for local law enforcement up here, 2007, where EMS would always uh, wait. They would stage until law enforcement was on scene to make it safe for them. Mm-hmm. That's not some joke. That's not some uh, uh, some just some weird thing that they did. It's because it was becoming increasingly unsafe for them to respond to calls because people started attacking EMS workers. I remember <clears throat> I was stationed in um, in Anchorage at the courthouse and I was driving home and I decided to take a, a back way there and I ended up by, a, I think it's Red Apple mm-hmm. in downtown Anchorage. And... Uh, and uh, it's right in Mountain View. Yeah, Mountain View. And uh, I see these drunks physically fighting with the firefighter paramedics that are responding to one of the uh, uh, an unconscious male. And I had to jump out of my vehicle, in uniform, of course, to protect these guys who were just simply trying to render medical assistance to this unconscious individual. That is definitely a sign of a societal breakdown when all of a sudden it's okay to attack the first responder that is providing essential public safety services, right? Right. And so that type of stuff is what can very well lead to some mental health issues on down the road, right? So 100%. you have these folks who are going out to do their job. Firefighters, let's, let's put them in that light for a few minutes. And normally speaking, um, firefighters don't intend to be attacked at work. Right? No. They don't really, um, that's not their mindset in the back of their head that they uh, have a probability of going out and getting attacked. So, when that type of stuff does happen, when people are, you know, blocking their way to get to fire calls and they're cutting hoses or they're um, damaging apparatus, et cetera, et cetera, that starts messing with these, these people's psyches, right? And their mental health. And breaking it down. And so that's of the unexpected um, consequences of this. So on the law enforcement side, we have a little bit more um, expectation that this could happen, right? Yeah. But it shouldn't happen. Um, You were a recruiter. You did lots of hiring. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there is nowhere in the job description that says, hey, uh, it's okay or be prepared to be hurt, shot at, or killed. It is not in the job description. So it's not in the job description at all, right? So then you go out on the road and you're fighting people, people are trying to hurt you, uh, your friends are getting killed. You're hearing about this stuff around the nation where cops are getting killed, doing the same stuff that you were doing. So does that start to build the stress? Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And again, what are these agencies doing around the nation to do it, to help out their officers? Um, I did a research project here, uh, maybe a couple months ago for a master's, uh, program, and it was about officer wellness in particular. And my research led me to a staggering number. And 
the number was um, 6%. And I'll get into that here in a second. So just remember 6%. So what are these agencies doing to help these officers out deal with the day-to-day stress? And 6% of agencies in the entire United States, only 6% have a wellness program in place for their officers to... That's that's insane. To deal with the mental stress, their wellness. Uh, But yet, the expectation is is that they're going to roger up and pony up and go to these calls without any issue. And so when you look at, again, you look at the number 6%, you're like, holy crap. So is it that these agencies don't care about their well-being of their officer? Is it that they simply are out of touch, out of tune with getting programs up and running? I would argue that many... I would argue that many are out of touch because they, uh, although that is changing now because you're starting to see the the next generation moving up into leadership positions in mm-hmm. all these departments. Mm-hmm. My fear has always been that the newer generation that's moving into leadership is was mentored by the last group that really feel that, you know, that one riot, one trooper, that one riot, one ranger, that one riot, one whatever, that suck it up and walk it off mentality, that doesn't work. Yeah. It causes more. If you looked at all of the uh, disciplinary issues that occur, DUIs, domestic violence, um, we can go on and on. Drug usage, self-medication, Alcoholism. all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff that's happening. Uh, we don't catch it until after the first responder has exploded and gone to rock that bottom. point, right? After they've hit rock bottom, because we we see the signs a lot of times. We just don't do anything about it because we're told that's none of our business. As long as the guy shows up to work on time and gets their job done, that's what they're going through is none of our business. And that's one of our biggest failings, right? That's one of our, our it, it's a huge failing because it's always been taboo, right? Yeah. So you think about it again, you're a recruiter, you know the hiring process and what's one of the tests that officers around the nation typically have to go through in order to get hired on. Psychological. Psychological, right? So everyone's freaked out that um, if they present any type of psychological issue, that they're going to be reprimanded, they're going to be riding a desk, they're going to be fired, they're going to be, you know, their their status is going to be taken away. Let me hit you with this one thing that goes right in line with I, I, I think you and I had this conversation several years ago when I was in recruitment and I don't remember because <clears throat> I was so shocked by it, by it I thought I did reach out to you I was like holy shit can you imagine <clears throat> at the time it was either LAPD or LA Sheriff's Department they would not would not allow 
a military active duty veteran apply for their job if they had less than one year from combat because they felt that they had such a failure rate for PTSD mm-hmm. that they felt that they needed at least a one-year period to decompress before they could actually pass a psychological exam. I think there might be some truth to that, although I do know some people that left... I know some troopers that left straight from Afghanistan were... I mean, literally, they were here for like... The mandatory, I think the decompression, uh, the, I want to say like the army has it, uh, 30 days. 30 days. It's and then mm-hmm. they allow you to go back to your home. Yes. Yeah. So, so obviously the army knows that it's an issue right. to even yep. implement something like that. So this guy had 30 days. He did his 30 days and immediately went, took the test, went through our whole hiring process, passed it successfully. Right. But I don't know that that's the norm. I like that these departments identified it because a, a lot of them uh, going into what you're saying with the well with the psychological phase uh, people that fail a psychological exam for law enforcement typically uh, the psychiatrist unless they're a complete psychopath will will only rule they won't say like an indefinite what I'm rambling on about. They won't make it an indefinite disqualification unless the person's like straight up antisocial psychopath. The belief is that, for instance, a guy that scores a score based off of PTSD or some other related issue Mm -hmm. with a year of counseling and decompression and, and doing the right thing, to take care of them, self-care, appropriate self-care, right. not self-medication, but self-care, can come back in a year or more and pass the test, which I believe is a true statement. So a lot of guys don't know that, hey, you know, just because you failed it now doesn't mean that you're broken. It just means that you need to deal with some things right now so that you're prepared later on. That's at the entry level, though. We're not addressing once they're on the job and all of this stuff starts piling up on them. And leaders, your first-line supervisors, even your senior leadership, I hate the term management just like you do. Managers are are meant for administrative jobs. They're right. not meant for first responding. You don't need managers in first response. You need leaders in first response. Leaders inspire others to do their best. That's what leaders do. Managers manage numbers. They, they have no business dealing with the field because a manager looking at a situation like this is going to start calculating what the numbers are. How is this going to affect the shift if we allow this guy to get counseling? How is this going to affect our overall numbers if uh, this guy or gal... Uh, uh, ends up missing work because they have to decompress. That's what a manager's thinking, whereas a leader's thinking, if I take care of this individual, not only is it the right thing to do, but it sends a message to the rest of the team that we put them first, their well-being first, because if you take care of them, if you love the people that work for you, 
they in turn will produce better for the public that we are charged with protecting. Right. That's a known fact. There's no mystery about that. I didn't just make that up. That that is a a, a thesis or a, it's a it's beyond theory. It is a fact that if you treat your workforce right, if you treat your team right, they in turn will treat the customer correctly. That is an Every industry. That's because Every they're industry. buying into the they're buying into the overall mission, right? And so, it, absolutely, from a leadership standpoint, your number one resource is your people, right? Period. That's your number one resource. Period. And if you're not developing, if you're not leading uh, your people, then your mission, whether that's uh, fighting fires or going out and enforcing law or dispatching or uh, Hell, being a yard maintenance person, if you are not taking care of your people, then you cannot, you cannot complete your mission because your people are the ones who are out doing the mission, right? That's correct. You're not. They are. And so when we don't provide people with mental health uh, resources and we hold people in a punitive light because they're bringing up mental health issues, then you're not taking care of your people. You are not saying, hey, you matter to me. What you're saying is, uh, uh, that doesn't matter. If you're broken, next man up, um, right. let's go. And this isn't football. This is not a football team, right? That's right. You can't sprain your ankle and have your number two quarterback come up and be like, hey, I'm ready to go. No, that's not how it works here. I don't know if you remember this. When we did fast roping in the Coast Guard, when the tactical teams all started getting into fast roping, we clearly the Coast Guard was brand new to fast roping. So we had to can rely give, on the on can, the Marine Corps. Can you give a little bit of explanation of what fast roping is where you use a rope to essentially repel from a helicopter, in our case, to a boat or ship that is rising and falling in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So you might be 75 feet one second while you're on the rope, and the next second you might be 80 feet, or you might be 20 feet or 10 feet. It depends on what the seas are doing. Mm-hmm. So you're you're sliding down the rope on, to a moving target that's moving uh, vertically. So we didn't know what we were doing. We knew that we couldn't just invent the wheel, so we went to the U.S. Marine Corps. The one thing the Marine Corps had, though, that surprised all of us, for fast roping, the Marine Corps had a casualty matrix because the Marine Corps, like most combatant units versus uh, your traditional first responders. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, this, this, this podcast is for our brothers and sisters in the military as well, but something to think about, different mission, right? Mm-hmm. The Marine Corps... We must complete the mission. They had a casualty matrix for fast roping in particular that said, well, we know that there's a percentage of individuals, Marines, that are going to get injured fast roping. So if we know that we need a minimum of 10 people on the ground when we deploy them via fast rope, we need to deploy... 14 people so that we can take a loss of four guys. We 
we looked at that like insanity. We were like, we don't want to lose anyone. Right. We're not large enough to lose anyone. Exactly. So let's figure out how to do this even safer. I mean, the FBI, when they do their fast roping, I, I used to laugh on That's not fast roping. That, that's hopping because they, they typically bring their helicopter right onto the, like just a couple of feet off the deck. Those guys can literally, the rope is just kind of like a, uh, what would you call it? It's just kind of, it's a formality. Right. They can literally just hop off the skid onto the boat. We were the donkeys doing 75 feet, 80 foot drops, right? I remember those days. Mm, yeah, my knees do hey, too. Great times. <laughs> yeah. But my point being is uh, uh, you start talking to them about PTSD. The, I'm not talking about the Marines as a whole because I think that they've started to adapt this as well, uh, this mental health being important but the, I'm talking about the original authors of those policies they would look at you like you're crazy they, bro mission first period uh, marine second as a matter of fact the majority of your armed forces including the coast guard always had a standard saying for you know how stresses affect let's say the home life. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do. We see more divorces in this profession than any other profession, hands down. And what was the standard saying? If the service wanted you to have a spouse, they would have issued you on that boot camp. How many times did you hear that in your career? I heard a lot. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> back then I was only, I was young. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> N.A. did not apply to me. But you've heard it, though. Oh, yeah. You heard it, though. Did you know that the Coast Guard saying for search and rescue for ages until probably the 90s was you can go out, but you don't have to come back? Right. That was the actual slogan. Absolutely. For the surfmen. You must go out, but but you don't don't have have to come come back. back. That was the saying. And we had to change that because we had to we had to demonstrate to people you are valuable. Are you still going to take risks? Absolutely. Right. You know we have a, a, a you know we have guys. I think one of the things with stress number one is identifying and providing resources. Right. Absolutely. You've got the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is one eight hundred two seven three talk. That's one eight hundred two seven three talk. Or 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. That is a uh, 24-7 number. For veterans, you have the Veterans Crisis Line, and that crisis line uh, is also available 24-7. I don't like that they have an option on theirs, so it's like one extra number, but it is what it is. But uh, the... The Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1, and that's the Veteran Crisis Line. So it's the same phone number, but you just press 1, and that's the Veteran 1. Or you can go to the website, VeteranCrisisLine.net. That's VeteransCrisisLine.net, and you can actually chat online with someone, or you can actually text, believe it or not. You can text 838-255. That's text 838-255, and you can actually speak to a counselor, a crisis counselor. 
the biggest thing that we don't tell people is you need to fix the problem. We don't do enough about telling people it is no different. Dealing and doing maintenance with your mental health and your physical health is no different than changing the oil in your vehicle, changing the air filter in your HVAC system at your house, you know, changing out water filters. I mean, these are essential maintenance things. It is the same with you. Uh, we should be. It should not be a stigma to seek counseling. It should not be a negative stigma to, you know, uh, taking care of ourselves. I mean, we still have departments that fight allowing time for workouts and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the time is now. We need to start moving towards that direction where these guys need to be hitting the gym. Even if it's on the clock and we pay for it, let's do it. Absolutely. We, we whether you you either pay for their maintenance for their bodies now or you pay for it later during a workman's comp claim or you pay for it later during a, a extended medical uh, care because the person didn't take care of themselves. You know, you, you get a morbidly obese person that all they had to do was have that daily maintenance of working out, having that time to calibrate themselves in a healthy way instead of in an unhealthy self-medicating way i mean you you will department department heads listening to this podcast the the returns are much greater than losses this is an easy sell to your city councils or to your legislature hey uh, we're available to talk to them if you want us to let them hear this let them hear the studies that clearly support what we're telling you right no. I want to want to go back to some of your comments that you made about mm -hmm. uh, the the house uh, doing the maintenance on you know the vehicle and stuff like that and you know if you look at that and you say okay so when you buy your house do you really think about doing the maintenance at the time or think about it long term no you're thinking about buying the house it's something new it's something mm -hmm. exciting same with the car right you get that. Uh, brand new this would be you know my military folks will understand this mm -hmm. you get that brand new uh gt50 with a 24 percent <laughs> apr and you uh you know you're living on that that e2 uh, salary making 600 bucks a month yeah. do you care about the oil changes or all that hell no all you care about is you're gonna go fast you're gonna pick up some some ladies or some yeah. gentlemen and you're gonna ride it so Think, of, think about that in the the law enforcement sense. When I first got into law enforcement, at least on the civilian side, um, when I was at the academy, I didn't give a shit about mental health. Yeah, it didn't even cross my mind. All I wanted to do at the academy level was a pass the academy, right? But learn how to shoot guns, chase robbers. Uh, and that was pretty much it. Like all the other stuff that they threw in there, I was like, I don't really want to know how to do a radar system. I just really, hey, show me the best ways to uh, drive fast and shoot guns and do all the cool guy stuff. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but they don't ever really talk to you about the long-term effects of what you're going to see. Right. They don't sit there in the academy and say, hey, brother, sister, in a year, 
um, you might see your first dead kid. Hell, the moment you graduate here and go out on the road, you might see your first dead child. Yeah. Here's how to deal with that. Here's some resources on how to deal with Brother, that. I get out of the academy. I remember this like yesterday. I'm still, I'm not even on FTO yet. I'm on that uh, that one week of indoctrination. Right. Palmer Post. I am uh, doing my ride along with Trooper Womack. I'm going to name drop because if he's listening to this, he'll know what happened that mm-hmm. night because this was insane. I'm in a suit and tie because they make you wear a suit and tie for that, right? We show up to this house. I'm not going to say the address, but I think people that read the news article or knew will know kind of the description of this. I'm not giving off any confidential information. Right. <clears throat> All we know is three people are dead. Potentially four people are dead at this residence, right? So we get to the residence. They clear it. They call me in. The lieutenant's there. A couple of troopers are there. First thing I remember clearly walking in was blood everywhere. And this stupid fucking cat kept walking through the crime scene. This an actual cracking, cat? Or like a cat? Like, like, a, know, like cat, a cat? Not like, like a feline. Not like, not like hey, that, hey, that no, cat over cat. there is crazy. No. Oh, I just like want to make sure. meow, meow hey, cat. Because you know how I talk sometimes. Yeah, hey. No, this is a meow, meow cat. This is cat. A, the actual cat. It's walking it. around, and I see these paw, bloody paw prints all around. And I remember the lieutenant was like, could somebody get rid of that cat? We grab the cat, throw the cat out the door. Close the door. Trooper Kamira's there at the time, which was hysterical. Kamira must have thrown the cat twice out the door. I think I threw the cat once. And we didn't realize because we're so focused on, we're now looking at one, two, I think there's there's two dead. The caller is barely alive. And the shooter is dead. And the cat, what we didn't realize, when the, so let me tell you what happens, because uh, I'm leaving out the biggest part. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we get a call, multiple people shot, multiple people dead. What happens is there's these uh, two couples living in this house, uh, male and female couples. And dude and two girls that live in the house are there. The, I'm trying to paint this picture so you guys understand listening to this. So the two women that live in the house are making out on the couch. Guy number one, who is the spouse of one of the girls, a boyfriend of one of the girls, is sitting there watching the show. The husband or boyfriend of one of the girls shows up from work, walks in. Sees this dude, you know, gazing at all this and sees these two women making out on this couch. He responds by walking over, grabbing his gun and starts shooting everybody in the house. He shoots everybody. He disapproves of this activity in the most 
severe upset. way. Yep, yep. He's he's clearly upset. He is clearly upset. He shoots everybody. He then walks over to the garage. Real, uh, actually, the when he shoots the his wife or girlfriend, she tries to run from him. He shoots her as she's trying to run into the garage, and then he shoots himself. When people shoot themselves, this is my first homicide scene ever. I see when they when someone kills themselves, they don't, it's not like in the movies because you can't uh, make your body do this as mm-hmm. an actor. Mm-hmm. His the whole layup of his body is so confusing to me to the point that I was looking at these dead bodies like mannequins. It was very hard for my brain to wrap around the fact that I was around real undead human beings. Right? Right. Uh, uh, real dead human beings, excuse me. And the way he collapsed was he basically, imagine a guy shoots himself in the head and then just his body just collapses straight down. Yep, all that weight's coming down. All that weight went straight down. So his legs are bent in these weird... It, that shouldn't happen. Right. And his body sinks back in this weird position. So my brain's trying to wrap around the geometry of all this. And here comes this cat again. The, the guy, when he shot at everybody... He blew out one of the windows, and the cat kept jumping in through one of the broken windows. So I remember Kamir finally grabbing this cat, throwing it in an adjacent bedroom and locking it in the bedroom, and we called it good. And then I remember the lieutenant at the time put his arm around me and said, Welcome to Palmer. That's what he said to me. That's the aid. That's the in-doc right that there. That was the indoctrination. There was no critical incident stress management. There was nothing. I just had... The other thing I remember was... The smell of blood. For me, it's always smelled like metal. Mm-hmm. It's this rusty, iron. rusty metal. Yep. Iron. iron. Yeah, absolutely. That's what iron. it smells like. The whole house. I could not not smell iron for weeks after that. For weeks. And I had this guilt that sat with me for weeks after that. Wow, I just stepped over these human beings. Like they weren't there. Here's a kicker to this story real quick. The caller, who's the guy, mm-hmm. he survives. I think the, one of the girls survived, too. They survive. Barely. Dude has a machine that's hooked up to him that is essentially keeping him alive. I know it was some kind of suction machine that was... They inserted in his stomach. The machine's worth like $45,000. You know how I know that? Let me tell you how I know that. Yep, let me, hey, let me know how you know that, Lou. Let me tell you how I know this. We get a call, and we have to go. There's a fatality um, by Big Lake Road on the parks. And that's in Alaska. In Alaska, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this dude who survived this shooting dies a couple of months later while I'm still on FTO dies in a fatal accident vehicle accident on the highway he's dead we're looking at this like what the hell it's like that uh, what, uh, 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 Destinations movie mm-hmm. I'm like oh Final wow destination. Final Destinations I'm thinking the whole thing front, we remove the guy uh, EMS removed. They tried to resuscitate nothing. Apparently, that machine remains in the vehicle. 
a couple of hours later, we're getting ready to go off shift and a call from the captain. Hey, I need you to go to the tow yard where that vehicle is impounded right now. Need you to climb in that crushed vehicle and get that machine. The company wants their machine back. It's a $45,000 machine that they're not willing to part with. You need to go get it. Just put on some rubber gloves, throw it in this biohazard bag, and do it. And since I'm the junior guy, I'm the new guy, I had to crawl into this crushed vehicle in the tow yard and grab this biohazard piece of equipment and uh, make sure that it got back to the post so that we could get it to the clinical uh, company. Management. And that's management. That's That's management. That's that was an example management. of management. That was, I'm sitting there walking through this homicide scene, <laughs> right? Going, what in the hell? Why am I wasting my time doing this? Why am I doing it? The company should just come and get it. You know, that's my thought process. But, and while this thing's, I, I kind of get what they're saying. Hey, this thing could save a couple more lives in the future. We'll clean the machine out. We'll, and we're, you know, and we'll send it to somebody else. But at the time, I'm just thinking, wow, this dude's body's not even cold yet. You want me to go do this? And it's just these, that's just my story. (sighs) There's hundreds of thousands of stories like this that guys, first responders, see on a regular basis. And when you started, did you even know or have an idea or did anyone mention to you uh, any available resources or um, it was okay to have those type of reactions and it it wasn't because you were crazy, but that's a normal thing that some of the reactions you described. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That was far from it. I remember um, either being Involved in the shooting or directly involved in the shooting and not being offered any of that stuff. You know, that's, and it wasn't, I don't believe that there was malice intent. I really don't. At the end of the day, I think it was absolute ignorance. Yep. Absolute, uh, uh, it's when you have managers in the positions of leadership that are thinking management. So they're thinking numbers, they're thinking cost. They're not thinking the bigger picture of mentorship and leadership and stewardship. They don't, none of those words make any sense to them because none of those words calculate into budgets. And if you think about that, though, uh, beyond saying that they're managers or, or whatnot, you know, we can probably trace this back uh, a few generations, right? So, their leadership never asked them, hey, uh, officer, troop, uh, paramedic, hey, you just went to this multi-casualty incident. How are you doing? Is there anything we can do for you? Here are some resources, et cetera, et cetera. None of that stuff was probably ever put on their plate. And so, again, you can look at this from generations and say, uh, this stuff's been taboo for a long ass time. Yeah, because guys are like, "Look, man, just go to the bar. Hey, take your. Hey, it looks like he had a hard time. Take him to the bar. Mm-hmm. But make sure that he shows up to shift tomorrow. He or she yeah. shows up to shift tomorrow. Because I complete the mission. 
that is priority. Well, you can't compete the mission with broken equipment. Exactly, exactly. So that's where what I think is too is while there may be ignorance, they never saw that, and so it's not in their mindset of hey. We really need to be looking out for the mental health side of our folks because, because again, if you look at the numbers, um, you look at 2020, they had 283 law enforcement officers die by suicide in the United States. In 2020, conversely, they only had, you know, in the 80s of officers who died from felonious acts and car mm-hmm. crashes. Right. So you look at those, so you're like, okay, so we're more than double uh, officers dying by suicide than they are at any hazard that they face in their job. And again, how do we kind of fix that mental health aspect of our job to be like, hey, it's okay. Listen, Lou. Obviously, this event that you described about the the homicides um, and smelling the iron and the cat, um, that obviously had a profound effect on you because that was, what, you said 2007? So that was 15 years ago. And I've never felt the same about pussy again. (laughs) Go ahead, keep going. Listen, keep going. Listen, that shit was inappropriate. (laughs) Listen, <laughs> inappropriate. Anyway, I'm just saying, but keep going. So that event obviously had a profound effect on you, but I'm going to ask you straight up, straight up. What have you done to help put closure to that event? Ah, uh, and that's interesting that you say that because after so many years and being uh, separated from uh, that employment for a set amount of time, I actually, because you didn't have time to do any of this stuff Mm -hmm. on duty, I was actually able to get counseling concerning, you know, not just mental health, but maintaining a marriage, maintaining a relationship, a healthy relationship. We're too scared to do that nowadays. You got to, You should not wait until you're retired or have left a, a departed an agency to be uh, given that opportunity. And it shouldn't be until somebody's been in a, uh, you know, they're about to be in trouble or something else before you offer that stuff. That stuff should be readily available. There should be a division which within every department. Even if you don't have the funding to hire someone, you can still, through certain <coughs> insurance, provide those services. As a matter of fact, I remember approaching my old de- department. Now, I want to I wanna say this because there are guys in that department right now in senior leadership that would 100%, if they knew about this, I think would be all over it right now. But I'm not there anymore, so it's, it's hard for me to promote this kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. there's this... Uh, residential treatment facility in Las Vegas that is strictly designed for first responders. It's founded by first responders. It's for first responders. That is approved by insurance companies, including the medical insurance 
that currently covers uh, uh, departments up here. Right. They do that because they realized that if you have an alcohol or other chemical dependency issue, you're not going to feel comfortable going to a treatment setting where you may run into someone that you arrested, right? Right. Or someone that you know. Mm-hmm. So they they offer this remote location completely outside of your state. It includes your housing, everything. And you go and get treatment. And then we get this repaired asset back to our department. It is It sells itself. When I brought it up to the older generation management that was there, they scoffed at it. I think they, I guarantee they threw away all the flyers and everything mm-hmm. that I brought mm-hmm. to them. Uh, it was advertised at uh, Noble, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, and it was also advertised at uh, the NLPOA, the National Latino Peace Officers Association. And both of these strongly endorsed this this treatment because it made sense. The whole the whole product makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And until leaders embrace that and embrace, hell, even if you have to sell it to that crazy manager, hey, think of it this way, sir or ma'am. You wouldn't let us put people out on a patrol vehicle that only has three wheels or doesn't have an MDT. Right. Or, you know, is missing a critical component that's going to cause the engine to fail, you would have us repair it. How much so this individual that you declare an asset, and as a manager, there's no way. If somebody is of a management mindset, you know, being crisis negotiators, we're both crisis negotiators, Mm -hmm. crisis negotiators, there's nothing we're going to do to change how they view a person, but there is a whiff them what's in it for me that we can sell to them, which is, look, there's no way we're going to convince you that that's a human being. We're going to give up on that part for now. We'll we'll keep working on that. But for now, we'll talk to you about them as if they're an asset, which is what you view them as. If your asset is running at 50 or 30%, they are going to fail at the mission, and they're going to bring extensive liability upon you, whether it be now a week from now, a year from now, or a decade from now, you're going to end up biting the bullet on this one. So why not just fix it now? Let's, why don't we do some preventative maintenance right now and get this thing operational? If, you know, I remember in the Coast Guard, let alone the troopers, if the internet went out, the whole office was down, <coughs> which is crazy because I joined in the military in 88, and it wasn't until they have internet back they did it. So back like 90... That's crazy. Man, like this crazy stuff. We didn't have Windows. We had DOS. So it wasn't until like 95 where all of a sudden all of these uh, government entities, whether mm-hmm. it be state or government, were dependent upon internet connectivity. I clearly remember internet was down and they sent everybody home. They were like, there is nothing we can accomplish right now without internet access. Everybody go home. Okay. Based off of that mentality, if this guy, his, his internet, his processor called his brain and his emotions are completely disconnected right now, it's no different than the internet being out. This person 
needs to get that connectivity put back in place to get that restored why don't we just send them to go get to get the treatment to get fixed and to get maintained why are we going to prolong you know using a, a broken thing or, or as they say in the defensive tactics chasing a failed technique right mm-hmm. why are we going to keep doing that and then you're going to end up with a disciplinary issue you're going to end up with this guy killing themselves and then we're going to do this major funeral for this individual that's going to cause a chain of more funerals potentially because uh suicides i mean we've always noticed that it seems to be like in threes up here in alaska in particular because the environment doesn't help without sunlight and everything during the winter months you know it seems like when one person offs themselves two more do it you know and it's sad it breaks my heart hell um i forgot what it was i think fort rainwright just reported they had the highest number of suicides in that base's history. Here they exceeded the entire U.S. Mm-hmm. Army as a whole in, uh, in, uh, by, by capita for numbers yes. of suicides. That's insane. What is wrong? I can tell you part of it's environmental. Uh, it, it definitely environmental. But uh, uh, you have to be looking at lack of leadership at that point was there something that could have been done that wasn't done did we not ident- did we not do enough suicide awareness training did we not offer enough counseling and opportunities without penalty to go get counseling and we that's talk- the huge part without penalty because again you see it in Movies, you see it in uh, in real life where people come to the table and they say, "Hey, I'm not right. I need to take some time off," and they're met with punitive measures. Do you know why? It's for what we talked about with the Explorer program. One or two idiots took advantage. Mm-hmm. Don't come to me with that excuse anymore. I don't want to hear it. Hold those one or two people accountable. And continue on with providing services, essential services for the good people that need it. Don't punish everybody over two idiots. Knock it off. Don't do it anymore. If you're listening to this podcast, I implore you, knock that nonsense off. You cannot hold people respon- an entire group of people responsible over the mistakes of one or two people. Exactly. So you Take care of that and move on. Yep. So this mental health thing. Um, never should be punitive. Right? Absolutely not. Hey, we've broken our people by making them go out and do the job that they do. So it's no different to me than, A, you fell and broke your wrist at work. No one's coming to you and being like, hey, you're a piece of shit for falling and breaking your your wrist. No. What happens then? You get put on workman's comp. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to come to work because you're broken, right? You're, yeah. you're broken. And when you're healed, your doctor signs off on it and you go back to work. There is no punitive damage. There is no punitive measures taken against you. You're not stripped of your, you know, your credentials, which you know, law enforcement officers and uh, firefighters and those who are, have credentials, that's kind of an identity piece Mm-hmm. Um, that they have, so to strip that from them is critical. Unless they, you know, 
are an immediate danger to themselves or others, or they've right. done some criminal acts. Like, don't take that shit from them. Um, so Boy, we love doing that. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. So when you are physically hurt, and we can see that you are physically hurt, that's all good. But when you're hurt in a sense where I can't quantify, you know, I can't quantify in the sense of, hey, I, I see that you're gun hand is broken you clearly can't go out and do the job um we tend to look down on that well there's a brother there's so much stuff out right now you you mentioned physical and just so that you know under the current retirement system that not only the state of alaska is under but several states that embrace this 401k based Mm -hmm. uh uh Retirement system. Anyone that is under the new, the current retirement system, as an example, has no medical retirement. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. In terms of if they get injured. So if a four-year, hell, a two-year employee, I'll give you two years. Maybe the first year you're just absolutely lucky. Second year, you get shot and paralyzed or... To the point that you're incapacitated to the level that you can no longer perform the duties. You can no longer be employed by that department. You, there's no way on earth that you would meet the, the standards. Mm-hmm. You, if you're in the prior retirement systems, you would be eligible for a medical retirement. With the current retirement system, they would simply go into the 401k... And give you what is currently in the 401k. How much money do you think you're going to accumulate in a year and a half, maybe two years into that 401k? Not much. Not much. Not much. Let's be generous. Let's say, hell, let's be super generous and say 100 grand, which is not realistic. That's not that's not remotely close. It's probably close to like 30 grand, maybe 40 mm-hmm. grand, depending on how the market is, right? I'll give you 100 grand. How long can you live on 100 grand for? Paying mortgage, not that, not uh, that long. Oh, and by the way, you have no unless, medical. Hey, unless I move to a, a country that is uh, where a hundred grand, I'm a king. But yeah, no, you'd have to leave the United yeah, States. Yeah. So, in Alaska, as an example, one of the highest, uh, one cost of the of most co- cost of livings. Nope. You got a hundred grand to live on for as long as you can. No medical. You have to apply for Medicaid. And in some cases, Medicaid's going to make you wait until Medicaid age. Mm-hmm. So now you have that stress on your guys right now. Do you think that's not causing a mental stress? There's a reason why uh, the average uh, new generational professional first response doesn't last past five years. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. Yep. No, that's uh, we've seen that more and more that... Law enforcement folks, first responders, they're not making that 20-year mark. Absolutely not. I think from my academy, and probably you're about the same. Yeah, we could look at the picture. Um, You look at that picture. So I'm looking at an academy picture that was from 2006, and maybe four or five of those guys are still in law enforcement. Of how many there? Yeah, out of 20. 
Mm-hmm. So that is a that's a crazy number. So seventy five percent of those folks are gone. And so um, we talked about the what you do to unpack this stuff and get over some of these these, these events. And when I say get over it, you may never get over it, but you may learn skills uh, that'll help you cope with this because in the first responding realm, whether you're a dispatcher or a firefighter or a police officer or clinician or clinician, yeah. um, you're going to see continued events that that one event is a qualifying event for PTSD. Right? 100%. So if you uh, average 20 years, you're probably, and again, if you look at some, uh, some studies, this is where the numbers come from. You're looking at, 200 plus qualifying incidents a year. If you look at the uh, Ruderman White paper on uh, law enforcement mental health, there's some really, really good numbers in there that discuss a lot of this. So if you think about that, you have been involved in 180 to 200 um, qualifying events. We should be able to figure out a way for you to unpack this because at the end of the day you cannot be a cop forever no you cannot you cannot be a, a doctor forever you cannot be a dispatcher we have a couple of we've had uh, one or two that tried they, and they try miserably uh hey and some people yeah that's yeah. it's it's a miserable failure but you have to look at the long game and say hey when i'm done with this job i want to leave as as whole as I possibly can because there's so much more um, out there than policing. There's so much more out there than dragging a hose and, and fighting fires. There's so much more out there than being a dispatcher. And don't get me wrong, I'm in this career and I will do um, you know, 20, 25 years, but I'm on the downward slide right now. Um, yeah. And I'm already looking at, hey, what am I going to do in five to ten years when I'm done with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can't bring the homicide that I went to on day one. I can't bring that shit with me uh, nope. when I'm doing my thing here in five or ten years. I can't bring it with me. And so nope. it, it it's it's a multi-layered process though, of how we get to that. A, Agencies have to start realizing that this is a huge issue and they are responsible for their people. They have to realize that. Start with mental health training and awareness and wellness in the infancy. Day one, academy. Day two, academy. All the way through. All the way through when you get out of the academy. All the way through your career. Have the ability to... Uh, get help when you see some crazy shit because you're going to see some crazy shit. And, you know, from a from a leadership standpoint, make your people feel comfortable to where when they actually seek help, that you're not making them feel like they're less than, like they can't handle the rigors of the job, like they can't handle... Um, going out and seeing the worst that society has to offer. Because, listen, that's not normal. There's nothing normal about going to a suicide. There's nothing normal about going to uh, a homicide and seeing multiple people killed. There's nothing normal about that type of stuff. Um, But 
we have to have people that are willing to go out and see and do those things for the greater good. And so, yes, we need these agencies to step up. We need our leadership to step up. Um, I do want to point out real quick, just here in Alaska, the two largest agencies are the Department of Public Safety, which houses the um, a few different entities within there, but their law enforcement branches, the troopers, fire uh, marshals, yep. um, uh, Alaska Wildlife Troopers, Alaska Wildlife Troopers, the Crime Lab. So you have uh, multiple entities that are within there that are essentially frontline employees, and then you have the Anchorage Police Department who. Is another. Um, they cover the municipality of Anchorage. They are the largest police department in the state of Alaska. But what I'm really getting at with those two entities, so both of those entities have wellness programs in place today. Um, Anchorage Police Department. They have a program where you can go online. Uh, it's essentially it's an app, um, and they have log on stuff, and you can go online. And uh, but it's confidential, so. You just put in this this login stuff, right? And it has all these different resources from financial um, well-being to physical well-being to mental health, um, all these available um, clinicians, um, your peer support team. That's outstanding. All that stuff is housed in this this app. So um, I was able to get in there and take a look at it. I was allowed access to it, again, doing a research project for uh, some grad school stuff that I was doing. Um, phenomenal resource for their people. And as, as I joked, uh, you know, instead of uh, scrolling Facebook while you're, you're in the bathroom, you, you, can scroll, take, yeah. you can take five minutes to scroll through some of this stuff and say, hey, um, here's some resources available to me. How are they promoting it? So they're promoting that internally. So they um, they have a wellness program. They have a wellness committee. Um, they have their peer support team, and they promote that internally through the agency. And again, that's the Anchorage Police Department. So shout out to them for ensuring that there's resources available for their officers. Uh, Department of Public Safety, uh, again, which houses the Alaska State Troopers, Alaska Wildlife Troopers, Fire, fire Life Safety, which is the fire marshals, and they're out. Judicial services. Yep. yep. So all of those uh, entities, the crime lab, who are dealing with, uh, you know, looking at all this evidence, they also have a wellness program. And that's something that both agencies, it's really new for them. And what I mean by new is in, within the last few years, but this, uh, the Department of Public Safety, they do have an app out as well. That's uh it's an app that has a generic login, and it also has these resources. So you can go into this app, and you can take um, tests, if you will, to see where you're at, kind of risk faster. So anger test, uh, alcohol test, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. They talk about um, they have stuff for resource, so mental health clinicians. They have... Um, it, essentially, it's a wide range of resource available to the end user. And um, one thing I want to note with Department of Public Safety is they open that app up to everyone within the department, as well as any other law enforcement agency in the state of Alaska who may not have access uh, oh, that's to fantastic. that type of material. So. Both agencies, again, are on the front line of doing their 
their thing to help promote mental health, well-being. Um, and so I applaud them for doing that that type of effort as well as uh, actually the legislature here in the state. Uh, they funded that. They, they gave the Department of Public Safety in particular uh, money to get that app up and going because that shit doesn't, that's not inexpensive. So, oh, I'm sure. You have well, to, uh, you got to applaud them for that. Man, I remember uh, having a VPO uh, was in a barricaded situation. He's a very close friend of mine because he was having a complete mental breakdown because we had him, we had him responding to every single death, every single domestic violence. And a lot of it was the result of lazy troopers. We had a couple of, it, it's very rare, but we had a couple of lazy troopers that had no problem letting this guy take all their on-call, their on-calls. And for those troopers that are still out there, shame on you. You know who you are. Uh, don't worry, one day, uh, uh, I, maybe in my book I'll make that public. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, these two schmucks, they were constantly putting on this guy and... I had to actually get the chaplain to fly out, and we had him meet us at the airport, and we got him the mental health, and mm-hmm. he's, he's functional now. Uh, he's no longer a VPO. He's functional now. And how much more of that was preventable if we had widespread training and awareness of these issues? I do remember telling these two idiots, though, hey, man, we're burning him out. We need we need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And their response was, well, if he does it, then I don't have to leave my bedroom. You know, it's like, okay, well, but, and there's, I hope that the department's addressing that kind of stuff as well. I hope that they will in the future. And I think a lot of that's through training and awareness and accountability. And when the leaders step in and lead, they can prevent that type of stuff from happening. That's my little rant about a negative that could be prevented, right? And uh, a firsthand watching of consequences when we don't watch out for people's health and it's not just uh, your normal departments you got to remember like VPOs VPSOs particularly VPOs these guys are responding to their family members like right. that I'd say what 90% of their calls they know the person intimately mm-hmm. Can, uh, imagine that you're responding to emergencies every day seven days a week and you know every one of the people that you're responding to that's stress. insane. Yeah. That's insane. That causes a tremendous amount of stress. Yeah. Like, he, you're, he responded to his uncle. He responded to his auntie. Like, I mean, watching his cousin pregnant with her teeth knocked in. I mean, he was responding to all this stuff. Who is, you know, we need to remember that it is critical that we get this type of help to people. So, I think we have made it very clear that mental health and maintenance and preventative measures are critical for a successful career as a first responder. If you're not a first responder, it is still critical that you're taking care of yourself. Uh, one that uh, I suspect the calls for suicides and everything else has increased during the COVID closures because now you're at home with people that you normally weren't at home with for a significant amount of time that might be a stressor mm-hmm. there may also be a stressor of not having the income that you once had and now you have to deal with that as well uh you've had a a shift in the social dynamic at 
at a house where one person was the breadwinner, now the other individual's the breadwinner, and it causes strife and a sense of failure for one individual, and you know, there's all these things that are happening. All of these, uh, the numbers that we put out for the suicide prevention, that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope that uh, you guys are taking care of yourselves. Remember that one of the key things as a leader is you got to love the people that you serve. Man. You, you have, have to. to. You got to have a love for them. Number one resource. Yeah, number one resource, hands down. And uh, uh, there's nothing more important than that. And the people that work for you will know that. The people around you will know that. And they'll know that you're not doing it for selfish reasons. You're doing it because you you sincerely care about that individual. Yep. So uh, quick shout out to our sponsor, uh, Popple. Now, Popple, which is really cool, by the way, is, you know, if you're one of these people that, you know, uh, here, we'll look at the extremes. If you're one of my friends that... Uh, would be brave enough to throw paint on somebody's fur coat because you're trying to protect <laughs> the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're one of those people that would chain themselves to a tree to prevent uh, uh, unnecessary paper being produced, this is definitely for you. And for everyone else that would just like to save money on having to order business cards every 10 seconds, Popple. What Popple does is it provides a link via either a keychain or a card that you have. And you basically just tap it on someone's phone. It opens up a QR code that takes them immediately to your website or whatever links you designate. And it gives them their contact. It provides them with all your contact information, your social media links, and anything else you want to provide. And in this day and age where we're trying to stay touchless, what an awesome way. Hey, uh, uh, how, how do I get a hold of you? Oh, hold on a second. Why don't you scan my keychain? Hit my popple. Hit my popple. Hit my popple. Pop my popple. Love it. And we have a coupon code. Coupon code will be Heroes AK. Heroes AK. We will have the link in the description. Uh, The link, the coupon code will be Heroes AK, and that's going to give you 20% off. Heroes AK will give you 20% off. All that information will be in the description below. Uh, Every time you... Hook up our sponsors. Our sponsors hook us up, and they keep us going and keep this content going. So we appreciate you. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this crazy message that we have that uh, we think is critical. We have more more content coming. We have more guests coming, and uh, we sincerely hope that you guys are safe and get uh, uh, get something out of each of these uh, episodes. And what do you got for them, Coop? Man, I just want to end on uh, this. Um, don't ever think that you're alone uh, in your fight to just stay either in the game or stay um, upright. You know, you are, there's lots of other folks who have gone through some of these situations that you've gone through and reach out to them, reach out to some of the resources. There are a ton of resources beyond um, what we discussed here. You know, there's a uh, first responder support network. There is uh, Serve and Protect. There is Cops Alive. There is Cops Line. Um, and you can look up all these and get their information and talk to folks who have been in the business. And uh, lastly, 
if you ever needed to reach out to someone and uh, you can't get a hold of anyone, reach out to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Hit me up, Facebook Messenger. Hit up my office. Uh, Google my name. Get a hold of me. I put my phone number out here, but I'm not trying to no, not trying have to get inappropriate yeah. texts all night. So uh, <laughs> some, of, some of my friends will probably just send me memes all night. So, but anyway, in all seriousness, um, hit me up. I, I guarantee you have my ear, and uh, let's all get out of this career alive. Thanks. All right, guys, take care. We'll see you next week.